Newsworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Upworthy Weekly. My name is Todd Perry, and with me is the wonderful Allison Rosen. How's it going? Hello. Good. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, so uh, for everybody who's new to the show, Allison here is the host of, obviously, uh, this wonderful show, Upworthy Weekly. But also, Allison Rosen is your new best friend, which has been a perennial uh, iTunes hit since, like, what, like 2011 or something? Uh, 2012. Okay, that was close. But thank I was... you. Thank you for giving me the extra year. Thank you. And uh, with Childish featuring Greg, Greg Fitzsimmons, yes? That's right. Can I just, I'm sorry, can I just tell you real fast, we are connecting over Zoom, so there isn't that meta communication, so I can't tell when is the appropriate time to jump in, so that's why I have decided to just jump in right now. Your entire body might be like, Allison, let me get through this intro, and I'm saying, no, no, Todd, it's more important that I make this completely insignificant aside, but you gave me the extra year on my podcast, and that reminded me that I was making a very important phone call this morning to a pharmacy, which is a very young person thing to do. I think many young people, Gen Z, whatever they're calling them, are constantly on the phone with pharmacies trying to get their meds sorted out. Mm. And, you know, I had to give my birth date. And the pharmacist misheard me and repeated it back. And she's like, okay, day, month, 35? She thought the year I was born was 1935. (laughs) And she didn't say it with a, a, even a wit or a wisp or a dash of incredulity. Like it totally made sense to her that I might have been born in 1935, which I think makes me 88. That seemed believable to her. That's cool. Were you tired when you were speaking to her? Maybe you, you woke up and you had a little in the voice, and so maybe you sounded a little bit older. Were you, were you angry? Were you, were you were just as crisp and chipper as you are speaking to me right now? I, I appreciate where you're going with this, but I think I sounded like I sound right now. I, you wonder, you know, you wonder... How does your voice mature? Like, how is it that we know when we're talking to a young person versus an old person? And I guess I have graduated into having a dignified, worldly, timeless voice. You know, maybe it wasn't the physicality of the voice. Maybe it was the attitude expressed by the voice. Maybe there was a certain amount of, you know, world weariness. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you could go either way, right? It's either gravitas where you're yeah. like, you know, Elaine Stritch, or it's just, it, that's a reference for the kids, by the way, uh, <laughs> or it's just experience and maybe, you know, being married, having two children, being a media yes. personality and having mm. to fight the wars every day that you've had to fight right. most, mostly on Twitter. Yes, yes. All those replies, the DMs. Dealing with, like, first it was 140 characters. Now it's 280 characters. Now there's a dislike button. Not everyone has access to the dislike button, but I do because I'm verified. And I think she could hear that in my voice. Thank you, Todd. Anyway, carry on. You were doing a show. With you um, on this week's show. We're going to go over the most popular and engaging stories from June 12th to the 17th on Upworthy, including... Uh, some advice on happiness from Star Wars creator George Lucas. And uh, I, we're going to talk about a song that I'm sure is going to be the jam of the summer. But, but before we get into that, Allison, we're roughly the same age. You're 88 and I'm 87. <laughs> some people, by the way, might be thinking her math is off. She's 87. Is that right? Yes. But I've already given myself a birthday this year, so I have turned 88. Well, we, we are not the greatest generation, but we're greatest uh, generation X, which is, I think maybe I was trying to push in upworthy stories as the cool generation, like the coolest mm-hmm. generation. We are the coolest generation. That's proven. 
Yeah, it's the science shows it, and in every summer growing up in the '90s, I remember there was because we were just talking about uh, we're gonna pronounce a song that might be the feel good hit of the summer. Every summer yeah. in the '90s, there was the Miami-based booty song of the summer. There's always one that that just dominated the charts, and then the moment summer ended, the moment you know mid-September, everybody folded up their beach umbrellas went back in and bundled up, you never heard the song again. Right. Right. Because right. nobody listens to Miami bass in the winter, is my theory. I... Remind me... Okay. It, it, my 88-year-old brain is forgetting what Miami bass sounds like. I want to go here with you, but I'm um, forgetting. As an 88-year-old, I know Miami. I live there. <laughs> but... <laughs> No, so you would have, like, you would have, whoop, there it is, was the breakthrough. Oh, yes. Uh, you oh, ha- my gosh, yes. You had this. Uh-uh, that's old, let me see the tubes are Yeah, 1994. Yes. 94. Right, and that, that would, uh, we just go. And usually. I can't even sit still. I know. And, and that's the thing about Miami bass, you know, but and usually like the song was like instructional, like how to do a said dance that, you know, he, he, it was a very informative type of music. It was like, OK, here's what's happening. It's the summer. We're going to be partying. Therefore, you're going to have to know what everybody's doing socially. So you right. had that um, you had to dip like I put my hand up on your hip when you dip. I dip. We dip. Right. And so that mm-hmm. that was good for me because like. Who's dipping first? I don't know, you know. Um, right. I love it. Th- there was Come On and Ride It, The Train. Yes. Come on, the train. The ch- this was every summer. And then somehow, I don't know what happened. They shut down the Miami Bay Studios. You know, mm-hmm. Uncle Lou. Maybe they flooded. Mm. Oh. Hur- it was a hurricane. So you're saying it's global warming killed the Miami <laughs> Bay hit of the summer? Well, I wouldn't be surprised, Todd. Mm. I mean, I do believe in it. I believe you do, too. Uh, I have two things to say, and I've already forgotten the second one. It happens at my advanced age. You said that when summer was over around mid-September. But have you noticed now, for the young people, summer is over like around mid-August? I recall going back to school in early September to mid-September. However, my kids are going to go back to school in, I think they start August 15th. Your wife is a teacher. When did this new schedule happen? Uh, yeah, schedule creep has been happening. I think over like the last five years. Okay, why? Uh, that I don't know. I'd have to get her on the show, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah. Hi, Todd. Does she sound like that? Yeah. Yes, Todd. What's going on? No, it's more like Gilda Radner from SNL. Like an- another. Hey, Todd. Yeah. Todd. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Todd Daramuka! And I'm like, it's Nookie Patrol, you know? <laughs> um, and then the other thing was, my younger son, Owen, was like, I want candy. And then I said, did you guys know that there's a song called I Want Candy? So then we played Bow Wow Wow's I Want Candy. And, uh, and Elliot told me that when he hears music, he goes into dance mode. Oh. And when you started playing Miami bass songs, I found that I went into dance mode. Those songs really put you into dance mode. Yeah, I mean that's that's their job. Like the butterfly, like, uh-uh, yeah. that's old. Let me see the tubes are roll. See, I can't. Yeah, Full dance mode. I like the guy with the whistle in the background. Like they need to do um. Like they did the the more cowbell sketch on SNL, they they need mm-hmm. it's like I'm gonna need some more whistle, and there's yes. some guy dancing around like doo, 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 doo. like you'd figure you can make one of those songs by numbers, but I don't think so. I think there's a there's a secret sauce in there that only if you're the '69 Boys or you know '95 uh, South or uh, the Two Live Crew, one of those groups, that knows how to exactly do that. But my call out is to any if if any of them are listening. Uncle Luke, if you're out there in the audience, uh, let's bring back some bass hits of the summer. I think we need it, especially after the last couple of years we've had with COVID. Uh, it's time for this type of joy to come back and bring America together. 
Right. But to tease a story, which I think you might have already done, we are going to hear a feel-good song in the summer. So maybe that could take the place. Seems like you're saying you don't think so, but maybe. It just doesn't hit like that. Mm. But what if you added a whistle? Ooh. Where's my son? He has whistles. So, uh, Allison, let's get to the yes. uh, let's get to the first Stories? first story here. All right, uh, optimistic women are more likely to live past ninety. So, this is a study done by researchers from the Harvard T. H. Chan School of Public Health, and it was published in the Journal of American Geriatric Society. I believe I will be uh, receiving copies of that any day now. They hmm. found a correlation between lifespan and optimism in women. Turns out that optimistic women had a longer lifespan, many living past 90. So uh, they had done this study previously, and a previous version showed that uh, optimistic women lived past 85. But that study mostly only, or sorry, mostly looked at white women. So now they expanded the study to uh, include more diverse people. And uh, when they did that, they found that optimism correlated to women uh, living past 90, and they looked at postmenopausal women. And according to a press release, so there's a lot of stuff, just to break it down, there's a, a lot of stuff going on in this study. Um, according to the press release, the study found no interaction between optimism and any categories of race and ethnic, ethnicity. And these trends held true after taking into account demographics, chronic conditions, and depression. Um, so it's interesting because I think that it's easy to say, well, it's, and by the way, I'm someone who is not necessarily, uh, or ever, no one has ever really accused me of being <laughs> optimistic. I can be kind of a dour person, uh, at times. So, uh, uh, so it's remarkable that I was born in 35. Um, but <laughs> I think it is easy for people to say, well, it's easy for you to be optimistic. Everything is going great in your life, but the conditions in my life are harder. So how can I be optimistic? But this study is saying that there's actually no interaction between optimism and race and ethnicity, despite demographics, chronic conditions, and depression. Um, well, and I, then also know, another I, quote. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was like, I think you, you can think no. about it the opposite way, where there are plenty of people who have you know, when it comes to their necessities met, uh, they're in really good shape, but are completely negative and have a negative outlook on life and are always dour, you know? And there are right. some people who have nothing, you know, sitting in the gutter looking at the stars, as uh, Oscar Wilde would say, right? So, yeah, I think it, uh, lots of times just optimism versus pessimism has a lot to do with, you know, your general outlook on life, regardless of circumstance. Mm -hmm. It was women live 5.4% longer if they have a positive outlook on life than if they don't. Right. And it, or though, sorry to be this person. <laughs> sorry to be this negative person. Or is it that women who live longer have a positive outlook on Like, which came first? Well, no, I, I think that they, they looked at postmenopausal women. And I think the study, they started looking at people back in like their 50s or whatever. So they gauged their, like, they would they would look at someone 30 years younger than you as an 88-year-old yeah. woman. Um, <laughs> they, they would look at you, say, at 50 and check out, you know, hey, how does she feel about the world? What's her general right. outlook? And then when she croaks at 65, they go, oh, well, she had a terrible outlook on life, you know? <laughs> Um, Can I say I hate this study? Actually, <laughs> that's my pot. That's my cups half full take on this because I take this personally. As an eighty-eight-year-old woman, I don't like anything that says to me, "Hey, lady, work on your attitude." <laughs> I don't like it very much. How do you, you feel about it? You know, maybe you should smile more often. <laughs> I'm joking. I, you know, it, it plays into some kind of bias I have because I tend to think eh, if I don't think about the negative consequences of things then they won't happen to me. Mm -hmm. And I know that has no basis in reality whatsoever. But that's how I tend to see things like, 
uh, I'm not going to think too too bad about getting some kind of terminal disease, and then I won't get one. It's the person, you know, the people go, oh, worry causes cancer. In some way, in right. my, my brain, I kind of think that, which I know it is not true at all. But, but go ahead. But yeah, so that it, it plays into my own bias, and as somebody who I think you know me pretty well, Allison, I think I'm a fairly optimistic, cheery type of guy. You know, I think, and that's maybe why I've been an upworthy writer, <laughs> and, and and not to do that. But I did a did a little research, and I found that actually men with positive attitudes also live longer. Really? So uh, with optimistic. Goals and I, I wanted. I was like just thinking, like, what if there's like couples and one's a pessimist and one's an optimist? Because there's probably a lot of couples like that where we kind of gravitate uh, to. I guess. Well, you know, it's it's the old dumb argument to opposites attract or is it similarities? Yes. Paula or... Abdul song or oh, is yeah. that Janet Jackson? Paula Abdul and I'm you know Paula Abdul. I'm the MC scat cat to my wife's Paula Abdul. You know. <laughs> She don't like cigarettes, but I like to smoke, you know. But mm-hmm. I, I'm just wondering if they did a study on, on like couples, whether, you know, like the optimistic husband was really pessimistic wife lives like triple because he gets the uh, the positive benefits of someone who's looking out for something terrible is going to happen at any moment. And he's positive at the same time. So he, he right. reaps this kind of double cycle of goodness. Totally, because she's making him go to the doctor all the time. Right, right. And also, yeah, he's got his great attitude. Yeah, that could Interesting. be it. So he's just mooching off of, of, of her, you know. So, <laughs> so I, I, I was looking, and, and for people who don't think that they have a positive outlook, there were, I did find one study that found the most effective way to increase optimism is called the best possible self-method. And Allison, you could, you know, you could take a take a page from this. Page? Yeah. Yeah, tell me about it. It's, I'll incorporate it. It's something a therapist would say. So let's just pretend I'm billing you 250 bucks an hour right now. <laughs> According All to right. a meta-analysis of exi- existing studies, in this intervention, you imagine yourself in a future which you've achieved all of your life goals and all of your problems have been resolved. Oh, I love it. I'm in. And then you begin to write for 15 minutes. That might be tough for you. To write? To do anything? To, to write. To accomplish something? To write. I know. Can I? Okay. <laughs> it would require a, a writer to write. I don't know about that. Uh, and you'd have to Keep write going. about specifics you've accomplished and spent five minutes imagining how that looks and feels. Practicing this daily can significantly improve your positive feelings, experts say. I could try it. So I so so I'd sit down and write about what it would feel like if I sat down and wrote for 15 minutes. <laughs> yes. I think I can do that. Upworthy Weekly. Harry Styles heard that his quote first teacher was in the audience, so he stopped a show to find her. Uh let's see here. So it looks like Harry Styles was playing a gig for 74,000 people in Manchester, England. Uh, you know, up the northern part where when the people speak, we don't know what they're saying. <laughs> where they go, mad for it. You know, those people. And they like, yeah. they like the track suits up there. It's those type of English. You know, <laughs> the English who dress like Russians. And uh, so w- when Harry was there, even though, I guess... So, okay, so I'll, I'll play the audio. So Harry's on stage, and he, he hears this because he's back near his hometown that his teacher, Miss Vernon, may be in the audience. So he asks his screaming crowd of fans to hush for a moment so, so he can try to find I'm going to ask a favor for a minute because I'd like to try and find someone in the audience. Okay. So we're going to get, get really quiet. And I'm going to see if I can locate this person, if you don't mind helping me, okay? Because my first ever school teacher is here tonight. Her name's Mrs. Vernon, and I believe she's in the crowd. I'm going to try and find her. I like if you just listen real quietly, you'll hear all these little English girls going, Oh my God, it's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Bob's 
it's your uncle. It's so sweet. Harry Stewart. <laughs> Can I have some more? <laughs> Mrs. Vernon is here. Are you here? There she is. And then Harry drops to his And then knees. did they rip her limb from limb? Right. Yeah. All these... And pass, pass up a... <laughs> Get her. <laughs> so then Harry drops on his knees and uh, like salutes and he puts his arms up and... Oh my Aww. God, I did her. How are you? I heard you're retiring. I'd just like to thank you for everything in those formative years. And um, yeah, thank you so much. It means a lot to me that you're here tonight. And, um, Why is this bringing tears to my eyes? What is wrong with me? This is so, but, but this is so sweet. Yes, it is so sweet that he would take the time out for being like the cool rock star, but it's also like that's kind of his image where Harry's like, oh, I'm a nice guy, you know, I'll buy you an ice cream and I'll be better than, you know, like Machine Gun Kelly would be to you, you know? Uh, oh, I mean, that's like, it's, I feel like, um, what's his name? Sid Vicious would be better than Machine Gun Kelly at this point. Another young people reference. But anyway, uh I got Harry Styles fever. What, did, what? What's the name for people who are into Harry Styles? Teenagers. Yeah, it's. I don't. I should ask my my niece. Big time, big time. Texting me the day that Harry's house came out. She was all about it, and I was like, "Well, do you know that Harry Styles is basically just Robbie Williams rebaked, and it's the same guy. He's just like nicer, you know." How did like, that go over? She's like, "I've read that," and that was it. Like she. <laughs> That was it. <laughs> but uh, so, but yes, obviously it's beautiful because imagine if you were Harry Styles' teacher and you, you obviously, he was like some kind of charismatic kid, you know, because look at him, he's a good looking right. guy. And uh, then you see him and you're like, I had a part of that. I've raised mm-hmm. him. I, I, I showed Harry those moves, you know. <laughs> but, and then I thought, now you, you tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. I feel like the world has changed to a certain point where, you know, it used to be we looked up to kind of rock and pop stars as people who were kind of they pushed the boundaries on everything. Like, you know, yeah, like Mick Jagger uh, didn't care about saying anything socially conscious. He cared Mm -hmm. about like, I'm going to have me some sex and I'm going (laughs) to rock out and I'm going to make some money and I'm going to prance around in tight pants and everybody's going to love me for it and I'm coming to town for your daughter and your wife maybe your mother-in-law and that's just what's going to happen because we're the rolling stones and we're bad boys right and that was it right and there were tons of archetypes you're just talking about you know the sex pistols or um for the most part the rock star has been kind of like the like dionysus like the old you know mm-hmm. uh, sure you, you know you know what i'm talking about you know and um and so that's always kind of been the archetype and i feel like these days Anybody, unless like rappers can still be that, but in any other way, like if you're if you're in a rock band, you're like somewhere on the Coldplay spectrum of edginess, you know, where <laughs> you're super socially conscious and you know, and right. it's like everybody stems from the Bono tree now versus yeah, the Mick it's Jagger, Bono, Michael Stipe, sure, right, and I go, I was thinking, I don't know. If that's necessarily such a good thing, because I think we need these people to push us to the edges and to be those kind of examples just for excess, because that also teaches us lessons, right? And it also helps get us out of our skulls and get us out of our skins. And for a moment at that show, appreciate not having to care about the world. And I think those people played that role in society. And now they, they only exist in hip hop is the only place they're allowed. I think that's a really interesting point, Todd. I, I you think finally done it. Oh, okay. Where's the outro? Where's the outro? No, that's interesting. 
Right. Who are who are the dangerous rockers? Upworthy Weekly. Well, speaking of music, there's a song called uh, I Know Victoria's Secret, and it is the inspiring summer anthem that we all need. This is uh, this came from a TikTok video, which is just going viral. This TikTok singer songwriter named Jax posted a TikTok video where she explains that she wrote a song for the girl she babysits. The girl she babysits is named Chelsea, and uh, we actually have the audio, but I'll just set it up. And then you can hear her just copy what I'm saying as if she came up with it. Uh, But anyway, uh, Chelsea is going to her first boy-girl party, pool party. And so Chelsea went and tried on a bathing suit and some other kid made a comment about Chelsea's body. And this uh, reminded Jax of some struggles that she went through when she was younger and she wrote a song just about pressures uh, put on women's butt. Anyway, you know what? I'm going to let Jax put it in her own words. Roll tape! So here's the song, Victoria's Secret. Fine. Okay. God, I wish somebody would have told me when I was younger All bodies aren't the same Photoshop, bitty bitty models on magazine covers Told me I was overweight I stopped eating what a bummer Can't have carbs and a girl summer Okay, so the 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 video is uh, the singer songwriter Jax and Chelsea, the girl that she's babysitting, sitting in a car, um, singing the song together. And uh, anyway, Chelsea, I believe, had gone into a Victor- Victoria's Secret and tried on a bikini, and another kid said, "You look too fat and too flat," which, by the way, is not even. It seems like it's just like a canned insult. It doesn't even apply to this little girl. Sorry, it's making me angry. I'm getting triggered by this comment. Um, Anyway, I'm going to breathe in and out. Um, But the song is uh, pointing to something with which I didn't know. Although it kind of makes sense, I guess, if you think about it, really. Victoria's Secret, the concept was invented by a dude. That's what the song is about. And the first iteration of the store, it was like dark wood and it was supposed to be like, you know, this mysterious boudoir kind of decorations where, because I guess the guy went shopping at a department store and felt for lingerie for his wife or girlfriend or something and felt kind of embarrassed. So it was a store where a man could go shopping for his gal and not feel embarrassed. So initially it was marketed toward men, Mm. uh, but then he sold it to a guy in Ohio, I guess. And then at that point they started directly marketing to women. But anyway, the whole point is the whole Victoria's Secret fantasy. It's it's men who came up with it. Hence this song. I didn't even realize Victoria's Secrets were still around. Yes, I was in a mall recently and I saw them. Uh, they've done a bit of a rebrand, Victoria's okay. Secret, and I've never bought anyone lingerie before. Do you even know what it is, Todd? Or have you only heard about it? Do you know what it looks like? It's like see-through. <laughs> Sometimes, not always. And it's on Paulina Porizkova. Uh, <laughs> Kathy Ireland? I don't know. Uh, Kathy Ireland. Now that's a name. Uh, listen, I did something this week that I have never done before. I kept my word. I did two things. I kept my word and I did some research. Uh, last week, we talked. we did a story where 911 responders in their downtime on Reddit shared some of the funniest calls they'd ever received. 
And then we wondered, is it true that if you call 911 for a non-emergency, you're slapped with a fine or you get some penalty or something? Correct. Okay. So the answer is probably not. Like, no, the answer is essentially no. However, there are fee structures and penalties in place. So you could. And here, it, it varies by state. Here is, here's the deal. If you knowingly con- call, if you knowingly call 911 for a non-emergency, by that I mean you know that it is not an emergency. I don't mean in the end it turned out to not be to be something that we all think isn't an emergency. Like a lot of the stuff we talked about was like a you know, my brother won't share his Legos or like there's a chicken in the road or someone who thinks the vending machine is a person dressed up as a vending like this stuff, but everyone in that scenario they thought this was a reason to call 911. But it, so those, those aren't the situations we're talking about. This is like you're knowingly calling 911. You're knowingly exploiting this. Then you could get a fine. In certain states, you could even get jail time. We had a listener yeah. actually chimed in. Thank you, Allison. You're welcome. Can you believe I did it? No I, one thought I would do it. I know. I know. Well, you know, here's the thing. You've always bragged, I do my own research, but we've never seen it. <laughs> You know? Now we have. Yeah. Now we have, and it's it's irrefutable. It's irrefutable. That's right. Uh, a listener writes in named Mike G from Texas, and it says, uh, "Hi, Allison and Todd. I was listening through your most recent podcast episode, and the question was uh, whether or not you get a bill when you call nine one one, and it isn't an emergency." And he goes, "Well, I kind of have a story here. Just the other day, he had a panic attack." And so he decided that he was going to, um, you know, get somebody to calm him down. So he called 911, and the EMS did their thing, came in the house with a stretcher and everything, uh, ready for a possible cardiac situation. And at the end of it all, they found out he was fine, and they left. And all they got was my first name and last name, birth date, and had me sign a few things that releases them from liability. And, nope, he never got a bill. So... There you go. That's how it goes. Thank you, Mike G. Upworthy Weekly. Uh, I'd like to introduce our audience uh, to somebody I think they're really going to enjoy. It's Erica Mandy from the Newsworthy podcast. And the great thing about her show is it's all the news that you need to know in just 10 minutes every day. And it it is not anxiety-inducing or politically biased. So thanks for popping on real quick, Erica. Thank you for having me. Yeah, our, our thing is all about being fast, fair, and fun. So it's fast. It's about 10 minutes a day, fair and unbiased. And then fun is not that we don't give you the serious stuff. We'll do that in the first few minutes. But we always make sure we bring in a wide variety of stories so that you're not just getting doom and gloom. News doesn't have to all be depressing. So let's say I want to start my day with Newsworthy after I listen to Upworthy. Where do I go of to course. get it? You can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Wherever you're listening right now, you can find The Newsworthy. Just search The Newsworthy. And, of course, we have everything also on thenewsworthy.com. Perfect. And and every Friday, you're going to hear Allison and I do – she does Feel Good Fridays, and Allison and I will be on there with our Upworthy Good News stories. So, Now, okay, Erica, real quick. In your Feel Good Friday segments, have you ever done anything about a cat – I really want to come up with a story that we've done about cats, but I don't know mm. if we have. Maybe one about Grumpy Cat. Oh, not in Feel Good Friday, mm. but we did report, I think, when, well, this isn't fun, but I think when <laughs> Grumpy Cat passed away, because he's like this iconic cat. Mm-hmm. Known for not really being happy. No. Right, but it was so Grumpy. cute. Very like cute. He became his own meme. Do you know, do you know who I'm talking, the cat that oh, I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah, very, very, very. Dis- I have a very distinct image in my head of this very grumpy cat. Yeah, people think that we're anti-cat because we don't do stories about cats because cats don't typically don't rescue people in the same way dogs do. And Todd, Ooh. the self-described, well, it must be said, king of good news because he gave himself the moniker. Sorry, Todd, uh, has made the point that look, when cats start doing things that are upworthy, we'll cover them. Well, cats probably don't physically rescue people, but I think they emotionally rescue people. Oh, my God. That's a really good point, Mm. Todd. (laughs) I'm going to have to figure out how to refute that. 
So anyway, <laughs> I'd like to thank Erica Mandy from the Newsworthy for popping up on our show. And check it out, Feel Good Fridays with uh, Todd and Allison. Upworthy Weekly. And our next entry into uh, conversations that we have about... Uh, mm, we'll be talking about optimism, and now we're on to happiness. And this comes from Star Wars creator George Lucas explained the secret to happiness. And I think his opinions are valuable because he's known for creating, obviously, the most popular film franchises with Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And I think one of the reasons why they're so popular is because they're like great fantasy and like science fiction, you know, adventure films. But he imbued them with tons of stuff uh, like ideas from anthropology, religion and mythology. So they just kind of hit differently and hit on a different level than most of, you know, adventure fare that you find in the cinemas. And so I, I write here that Lucas has spent a lifetime thinking deeply about the human condition and weaving those themes into his art. So when he was asked to give a speech at the Academy of Achievement in 2013 about his road to success, his views on happiness were incredibly thoughtful. So here we go. Of One thing I discovered along the way is that Several speakers have talked about happiness, and I've discovered along the way that happiness, you, have, you live in two worlds here. Happiness is pleasure, and happiness is joy. You know, it can be either one. You add them up, and it sort of falls under the uber category of happiness. Pleasure is short-lived. Uh, it lasts an hour, lasts a minute, lasts a month. Um, and it uh, peaks and then goes down. It peaks very high. But the next time you want to get that same peak, you have to do it twice as much. You know, it's like drugs. You, know, just, you have to keep doing it because it insulates itself, no matter what it is, whether you're shopping, uh, whether you're uh, you know, engaged in any other kind of pleasure. Uh, that all has the same quality about it. On the other hand is joy. And joy is the thing that doesn't go as high as pleasure in terms of your emotional reaction. But it stays with you. Joy... Uh, it's something you can recall. Pleasure, you can't. Uh, so the secret is that even though it's not as intense as the pleasure, the joy will last you a lot longer. Um, and people who get the pleasure, they keep saying, well, if I can just get richer and get more cars, you know, I can, I'll never, you'll never relive the moment you got your first car. That's it. That's the highest peak. Yes, you can get three Ferraris and a new uh, uh, Gulfstream jet, and maybe you'll get close. But you have to keep going, and eventually you run out. I mean, you just can't do it. It doesn't work. So if you're trying to sustain that level of peak pleasure, you're doomed. It's a very American idea, but it just can't happen. You just let it go. Pretty good, huh? Yes. You look that being said, for me... Any time, any, any, when the time I got any first car or if the first moments with any car, no, I've had not that many cars in my life was not any, like I, that was not a peak of pleasure for me. Was it for you? A little bit. It just meant I got some sort of freedom, but I've never been a car guy. Lucas is yeah. a total gearhead car guy. Okay. So he would, you know, freak out about that sort of thing. So I think that kind of comes from his uh, life experience. Right. I get. I'm. I, I get that I'm being too literal with this. I was just thinking about the fact that that would not rank in my highest, you know, moments of my life. Right. Uh, I, I, I was saying here, if you if you look at what he just said, it kind of echoes in his films. Like in Star Wars, you have the dark side, which is akin to pleasure, as Yoda would say, it's quicker, more seductive, <laughs> you know, and, and and people gravitate towards that, and then you know that's what screws up. Uh, Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader. I, I want to get. I want to figure out how to do like the Lucas voice because he has that kind of you know, uh, you know, the dark and the light and these. Uh, you know, he so seems like the kind of guy that would put you to sleep on like a long plane flight. But uh, <laughs> I, I need George Lucas speaking. You know, to put like in a podcast form, you just put it on before bed and go to bed. But he's soothing yes. and he's smart and and then like also in Indiana Jones, most of the time it's Indiana Jones chasing after something he think. He believes belongs in a museum that should be out of the powers of darkness. 
and the powers of darkness are always these greedy people. And then eventually Indiana Jones has the moment where you see him kind of becoming greedy and he has to relinquish himself from that in order, you know, to get the artifact. And there's always this thing where he's kind of challenged by that seduction and, and doesn't fall for it. So you could see this in Lucas's other stuff. Uh, and I, I was just looking, I was just thinking about this. At like, if you could do like a yin and yang to different things with the pleasure dichotomy mm-hmm. uh, with pleasure and joy. And I was thinking like with podcasting, like I think maybe the first time I put out a show and I like, whoa, 200 people subscribe. And I was like, whoa. But then eventually that becomes a pleasure principle where no matter how many people are listening, uh, you never quite hit that first peak of finding the first 200, you know, and better and better. And it it doesn't matter anymore. And you just have to get more and more and more. What you have to, Mm -hmm. with me, what I found is, nobody listens to my stuff. Uh, What I found is (laughs) that, it's actually the joy of doing the show mm-hmm. and saying, oh, we did a good episode here. Or you can look back on a, a bulk of stuff that you appreciate. That's the joy in it. The The pleasure is the sometimes, oh, had a good week this week. Or, oh, we went past X amount of downloads. Like, that's great. But that's very fleeting and ephemeral. And right. it's, it's dragon chasing. But the, oh, wow, that was a good episode. Or somebody says, you know, that I really got something out of that. Then that's, that's the joy of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also like the improving one's skills at doing something like that one, the audio was better or, you know, we didn't say um so much. You know? <laughs> right. Yes. I've had these moments as a podcaster where you do something that gets a lot of attention. So there will be a day where your social media is just going nuts and for a, in a positive way. And for a day, it's like you're like floating on a cloud, it feels like, because it's like, oh, my God, like everyone, if everyone loves me, even it's so silly, too, because it's like what I mean, it's it's fake. But at the same time, it still feels nice, you know? Yeah. And that's very much that sort of the pleasure thing of like, it's not that is chasing something elusive and it's not it's over very fast. Um there's not real joy or satisfaction in it. It's just like a drug. Yeah, but then do you have you found that after moments like that, you went like, oh, can I do that again? Uh, you know, and... Yeah, yeah, you chase it. Yeah. Yes, but I try to tell myself... But I mean, that's sort of the discipline, is telling myself that's not... It's not real. Yeah. It's not... It's not real. It's just... And also, it's... It feels good because it's sort of like I this is sort of a a thing I think about or, oh, in different times of my life. I have spent a lot of time thinking about um, thing. I, I, I can be drawn to things that affect me like a drug in that, like the it's so overwhelmingly it brings me so much pleasure that it like bring offers me an escape from my life and the feeling of like a flood of positive reinforcement via social media is it's like nothing can touch me like I I'm like a celebrity in my mind for a day and it's like I don't you know I don't need something so intoxicating like what am I trying to avoid if I want that so bad right does that make sense you ever tried DMT (laughs) no no I was gonna go Joe Rogan with it no but uh just talk about (laughs) drugs and the, the right the pleasure thing but you know, and and I th- I think in general, I think we do have a society that really confuses the joy and pleasure thing. Where again, yeah. you know, the bigger house, the more, the more possessions, the uh, you know more toned butt, whatever. You know, you see it on Instagram all day, mm-hmm. and and it's totally the, you know, and it's it's greed. It, you know, it's people who are very greedy, but you do see all this around you, and and obviously we all fall victims to it in our own ways but it's sometimes when you see it so obvious that some people are trying so hard and put putting so much of their lives into chasing something you know is not fulfilling because Mm -hmm. if it was something that was fulfilling they wouldn't they wouldn't have to keep it be fulfilled yeah exactly they would be fulfilled so yeah it is it is a drug-like thing so i think i do like what lucas is saying 
But I think also what he's saying is that the the thing is everything is obviously about balance and the idea of understanding that what is pleasure and what is joy, which I think was the great mm-hmm. thing that he explains is kind of codifying that. So you do know, okay, that I've had enough of that and, and it's and it's time to back off with the pleasure and not go whole hog in, in pursuing it. Um, but we, we need that balance. We do need some pleasure from time to time and we, we do need, you know, a good, uh, good food. And, you know, obviously the joy is eating well and the pleasure is I'm going to have some chicken wings tonight, you know, where with children, with raising kids, how do you feel? And I'm not, I'm not talking about their experience of things. I'm talking about as a parent, how do you feel like that divide works? Well, I keep trying to have more and more children in order to get that <laughs> first joy. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna go Mia Farrow. Just start adopting kids from all over. <laughs> oh, but you mean my own pleasure with raising kids or raising my son so that he understands the difference between? No, that? I mean, do you experience pleasure or joy more as a parent? Oh, it is completely, it's like 90% joy, I think. Right. Then, I don't know. I think maybe the pleasure is sometimes when the kid learns something. No, the pleasure is when I get in the car and I put the Beatles channel on and my dad, and my dad, my son goes, who's, who's singing this? And I go, this is Paul McCartney. And he goes, is it the Beatles or Wings? That's the pleasure. Then the joy is obviously when you see your, your child achieve something or hit a next developmental thing or do something that's, you know, virtuous and sweet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll find that there are like fun, silly moments where I'll sort of realize like I'm totally in the moment and I'm just having a blast with them. And those are pleasure. That I would say is pleasurable. And then most of it is on the joy side of things. Right. I think when my kid hit like kindergarten, I did have a moment where I was talking to my wife and I go, you know what? I think our kid isn't an (laughs) a-hole. I was like, he, you know, I think he has a good personality and he's, he's, he's likable. Like, you know, he didn't, he didn't seem like some kind of, you know, some kid that would have got bounced from the chocolate factory. You know, it's, he seemed more Charlie. (laughs) So far, but I think once he gets to five, I think all the studies show personalities made. I could drop him off on a street corner and he's going to be the same. And then when he comes back to me in years and finds me on, you know, a dating app or something, then uh, we'll see. You think your child's going to find you on a dating app? What is going I'm on? I'm joking. You know, it's always those weird stories like my dad abandoned me. Yeah. Oh, right. Why know the terrible thing I tell my son? Sure. <laughs> I, I, I always tell him, I go... You know, son, you know how we first got you. And he goes, what, dad? And I go, there was a mommy and daddy Monchichi that came in on a rainy night that had a <laughs> little, had a, they had a little basket and you were in it and they were really poor Monchichis and they couldn't afford to take care of you. So we shaved you and, and took you to the doctor and he were, oh my God, and, and he removed your tail so that no one would think, and they think that you're a human, but actually you're just a Monchichi. And he gets really mad, and he goes, Dad, you're just joking. You're just joking. I go, maybe. <laughs> That's evil. But I tell him, go, you know, if you're bad, the tail's going to grow back. Oh, my God. It's time to rate your week. Have something great happen this week that you just have to share with the world? Tell us about it by emailing us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com. Allison Rosen, on a scale of one to five, one being awful, five being scrum diddly umptious. Rate your week. Uh, this week I'm going to give a 3.5. It was okay plus a tiny bit. Um, we didn't have childcare, which was hard. Uh, I, but I was able to do most of it. This was sort of like able to push, push off some, push some work to the sides 
and actually take care of my own children, which no parent should have to do. Um, and normally for, because my kids are young enough, like they have a little table. So normally I give them dinner at their little table. Uh, and then I look at my phone, but I decided we, we graduated to the big table. So I've been sitting down with them and we've been having dinner together and, uh, it's really been nice and rewarding and great except for the part where Owen's, so we have like a little banquet, like a booth thing. So except for the part where Owen stands up and then throws food behind it which is just a real pain in the butt. But other than that, uh, it's been great. So hence 3.5. Not bad. Not bad. And are you a better person than you were last week? I think I am slightly a better person. Um, Just in terms of slight personal development. Mm. Uh, So I used to do some acting and go on auditions and things like that. That was like one of my aspirations many, many years ago. And then like many people in this town, because I didn't book a ton of things, I got it into my head that I must truly be awful. Like there are probably casting directors in this town who are like her. Oh my God. She like, they're still laughing about the choices I made. And like, there's a probably a photo of me on the wall and they're like, if she comes in, arrest her. I mean, by the way, they don't even remember me. Like, I know the reality of it, but I just have really built it up in my head that I'm so bad and stuff like that, um, which has, is sort of embarrassing to me that I even have this whole, that I've built this up so much in my head. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I, like, it felt like this big confession and he's like, oh, everyone thinks that, which was sort of news to me that he's like every everyone who does this thinks that um so anyway uh a friend of mine wrote uh wrote an audiobook and he was he's having different people read different parts of it and he gave me a small role in it and I was nervous but I did it uh and then another friend has a scripted podcast and he had me um do a few roles in that and I did all this, even though I was nervous, and uh, it went really well, and I had a blast doing it, so it's been like nice to get in touch with that part of me again in this way that is sort of like feels kind of low stakes. So yes, I'm uh, definitely a better person. I like it. I like it. Thank you. Um, Todd, what about you? On a scale of one being awful to five being scrumdiddlyumptious, what about you? How was your week? Uh, I had a four. Oh, my word. That's pretty good. Yes. Uh, it was a great week. On the weekend, I went to go see uh, Dead & Company, which is the current version of The Grateful Dead with uh, uh, John Mayer playing in place of Jerry Garcia. And it was just a super fun night when I went out with some friends I hadn't seen in a while. We all hopped up in a big covid van and uh, <laughs> went out to Dodger Stadium and... Got to just like have a great time hanging. And my, my neighbor who lives across the street, who I'm just kind of becoming cool with, he was there. So I just sat next to him and I just had a great time hanging out with the Deadhead crowd who are a fun, interesting, smart, uh, good vibey group of people and had just some great conversations with randos. And the, the music was a lot of fun. They played a lot of hits. And so that was fun. And then two days later, I went to go see Bob Dylan. And uh, at the Pantages, and he was great because he's playing his new record, and I really love his new record, so I was happy to see him do that. And then after that, I went to a bar and had a beer before I went home, and I met like some dude. And me and this dude just talked for like, I don't know, an hour, just talking about the show and music. And then I was like, dude, let me get your phone number in case you go to the next show he does in Long Beach. We'll meet up. It's like, all right, cool, bro. And uh, so, yeah, I just had a really fun week of going out and seeing music and, you know. So yes, I had a had a really fun week. So that was good. Are you a better person? Yes, uh, and I'll tell you why. I think I bridged some kind of intergenerational gap on Saturday on Sunday morning. My kid was at a birthday party at like a bouncy place where they jumped to the moon or whatever, and so mm-hmm. my wife and I snuck out to go get a cup of coffee at a get a cup of coffee next door. <laughs> 
And so we went and we were having a cup of coffee. My wife wanted something to eat. And she she ordered something, and I was like, I was kind of taken aback by it, but it's a very her type of thing to do. She ordered. Was it liver and onions? I we had some coffee and some brisket and some liver and onions and we, no <laughs> stewed prunes. Yeah, stewed prunes. Right. So you know, we we sit down and she orders avocado toast. Todd, you've been living in California for a long time. How is this like a brand new thing for you? I've never, I'm not like a huge. I'm like I'm fine with the avocado on some chips or whatever. But I, I sandwiches. I don't know. And so kind of toast has been going on for uh, it's been going off for a long time, Todd. Well, it's, it's always it's been, been around. It's been sold to me as it is a millennial thing. And there's been are old now. Numerous articles written about the fact that if just millennials would stop buying so much GD avocado toast, they could afford homes. Have you you've, you've seen these articles? <laughs> know, like that's, in, that's not true. It's more like if they would stop buying so much avocado toast, they could afford their expensive coffee or something. Okay, that's the truth. Well, so my wife she she gets this avocado toast, and it's a it's a and it made sense to me because my wife we often joke is she's chuggy. Oh yeah, I know what that means. Yeah, and she I'm admits hip. it. Okay. What, what's that? I'm hip. I know what chuggy means. Yes. And we joke that my wife is the queen of the chugs because she likes big floppy hats. She has a penchant for word art, which I think that needs. Oh, yeah. Which I don't like at all. Oh, boy. Like, oh, I have a thousand questions. We don't have enough time for my questions. And she owns it. too. We have actually the chuggiest thing in the world, which is a piece of word art from a Jenny Lewis song, which I don't know if it gets more chuggy than that. Oh, but I like Jenny Lewis. Oh, I do too. But it's the only artist my wife listens to. Only she only listens to one artist all day. So right now she she's cleaning the kitchen all day, and I have that's all. Play somebody else just real quick. Throw throw in some Abba, whatever. But so my wife gets avocado toast, which I would say is kind of the official food of the Chug. <laughs> okay. So she and it's like an inch and a half of sourdough bread, and just I. It looked to me like three quarter inches of avocado on this sucker, and it cost thirteen dollars. So I said, yeah, you know, give me a bite of that. Let me just let me just try it. And I took a bite, and it was the avocado was lemony, and it had like a pepper in it, and it had that like everything but the bagel stuff that they sell at Trader Joe's mm-hmm. in it. And mm-hmm. the sourdough was just the, the right crunch with the creaminess on top, and I. I I took a bite and I told my wife, I said, I'm so sorry. I need to apologize to every millennial out there. This is amazing. Oh, wow. I said, we should sell our house right now, put it on the market, and we could eat this every day. I think you experienced Steven Spielberg's pleasure. What's that? It's, it's George Lucas's pleasure is what I meant. Oh, yes. So basically the I'm going to give up everything I've worked for in life and just pursue the pleasure of avocado toast. You experienced what George Lucas experienced when he got his first car. Oh, yeah. Oh, gee. So I, I need to back off it is what you're saying. Like limit myself to like once a month some avocado toast. Well, you can have it. Just know that it's never going to be as good as what you just had the other day. Yeah, even if I went back there? According to George Lucas or Steven Spielberg, but probably George Lucas. What's Martin Scorsese's take on avocado toast? It's got to be the same. They're all the same guy, right? They're very, very different. Especially if you ask people who love Marvel if they're different. They have a lot of opinions on Martin Scorsese. Barely know what we're talking about. Upworthy Weekly was produced by Todd Perry. Follow Upworthy on all socials at Upworthy. Allison is on Twitter at Allison Rosen. 
and Todd at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Questions, comments, or to tell us about your amazing week, email us at UpworthyWeekly at Upworthy.com. I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week. Right, like, what do you have for me today, Satan?